Celebrate, and it's what God did over our Vacation Bible School week. Just so that you kind of know, have a, a picture of what God was doing. Average attendance each day was 751 people that were here uh, participating. The high attendance of 774. Uh, man, that's a, a crazy, crazy day here on campus. We, ha- we averaged 462 children that participated in it. But this is the one that, that is the thing that we do this for. 85 people prayed to receive Christ and uh, move from death to life in Jesus. So, you know, I... I I've done this a long time. I know Vacation Bible School volunteers uh, are always hesitant to kind of get any recognition, but if you served in any capacity for Vacation Bible School, would you please just stand just so we could thank you uh, all throughout the room. Man, we're, we're so grateful for you, for Brother Barry and Michelle Chegwin and just their team and just the investment that you made in the lives that were changed because of that. I, I, I bring you kind of well wishes and prayers from Pastor Mercer today. Uh, he is out. Um, it was, he was not intending to be out today. He got sick uh, later this week, and so uh, he's just not been able to kind of kick uh, the cough that he's got. And so, um, so he is unfortunately not able to be here, and he misses uh, being with us to be able to bring us God's word. And so just if you would just be praying for him, just that, that he would start to feel better and, uh, and just be in prayer for him and Pam as well. We look forward to having him back with us. And so, um, so I'm humbled just for the opportunity to bring the word this morning. And so if you have your scriptures, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 on this Father's Day is we're gonna be in a story uh, of lost things. So if you have ever been lost, then, then you're gonna be on board with kind of where we are because this is what Jesus is teaching about. That feeling uh, of being lost is the worst. Uh, I remember um, in 1996, uh, I turned 16 and, and got my driver's license. And so we lived in Albany, Georgia, small Southwest Georgia town. And, and driving there, if you kind of made your way into the downtown area, there were no longer kind of the two-way streets. It was all a, a lot of one-way street action. Anybody ever live in a town like that, a small town like that? So, so I, you know, this is 96, so it's not like there was the GPS or, or anything like that. I went down to uh, the local football stadium where all of our public school games were held and drove down there, and, and it was light when I got there, but it was dark when I left and started to kind of make my way out of the stadium and where I needed to get to and realized about, you know, two, three minutes into the drive that I was completely lost, nowhere where I needed to be. Um, And it was, you know, all these one-way streets. I think I turned and was driving the wrong way on a one-way street at one point in time. It felt like I was kind of at the nexus of the universe, um, if you know what I'm saying. And and so that's a, a... terrifying feeling because then the reality is, is the only thing that I wanted to do in that moment was just to go home. I I, I didn't really care how I got there, if it could be like a beam me up Scotty situation. Um, You know, uh, know, like at that point I was like looking for a bus to just figure out, will will somebody take me somewhere? And and there's, there's no worse feeling than that, of feeling lost, unsure where you are, and the only place where you wanna get is to go home. 
And so as you look through your scripture, and if, you're, if you've got a, a, a Bible like mine, mine have little titles at it. It says the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable uh, of the lost son. And, and so it's a story about lost things. But, but when we really begin to dig deep into this passage that we're going to look at this morning, we see that the story is really about the finder of lost things, a, about the one who makes the way home for those who are lost. And so if you're here this morning and, and there is something within you that seems to think, I, I just can't go home, then this is the place to be. Because I believe the message that Christ has for us and that he's wanting to communicate here across the room this morning and speak into our hearts is, is that you can come home. That, that you can come as you are and come home to Jesus. So he's beginning to speak here, Christ is, to two different groups of people, the, the sinners and tax collectors, as it starts out in verse one, but also the Pharisees, and, and, and so kind of two different types of people, the worst of the worst, and then those who thought that they were the best of the best, but really weren't, they were in the same category. And Jesus is beginning to deliver these parables, and he gets to the parable of the lost son. If you've been around church, the parable of the prodigal son. And he starts here in verse 11 and says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So Jesus begins to set up this story, uh, the story of, of the, the lost son or the prodigal son. And, and when he starts off, what we need to understand is culturally, as, as this guy has gone and said, I want half of my inheritance. What the son has essentially said to his father is that I wish you were dead. You know, he, he's telling him in this moment to just drop dead so that I can have what is mine and be able to go do what it is that I want to do. And so he takes that, he then goes and, and loses all of it in wild living, as the text tells us, to the point where he had nothing and found himself in the pig pen longing to just eat whatever it was that the pigs were eating. But then the scripture says that he came to himself or to his senses, and when he did, he began to put together a speech. And I wanna look at that speech this morning as we come around this idea of the Father's interruption and, and, and Jesus telling us to come home. So this 27-word speech that this son composes begins in verse 18, but let's start reading in verse 17, when it says, when he came to his senses, so he had a revelation here. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, and here's the speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So are, are you in this story here? Do, do you see this guy tattered and torn? Can, can you just kind of 
Think about the, the smell that is coming off of him. And here he is in this moment, and, and as scripture says, it kind of, he came to his senses, he came to himself, and so he began to think straight again and look at his surroundings and realize that he was in a better place at home. And so that he needed to do whatever he could to begin to take those steps home. Now the enemy is gonna come and Satan's one gonna come in this moment this morning and, and say to you, if you're in this spot, say, well, you're in the pig pen, that you're eating the pig food, that, that, that you turned and left away, left everybody and turned everything away and went out on your own. You're a million miles away from home and there's really no way back. But even as, as some of us and most of us in this room you know, can kind of relate to that or maybe have a story of that, all of us here today, we woke up this morning, we cleaned ourselves up you know, real well to come and be here at church. But wherever it is that you are, there are people in this building this morning who think that I am so far down in the bottom of the pig pen that there is no turning back. And what God is seeking to say to us is no to that line of thinking and no to what it is that Satan would want to say to you and I this morning. God is wanting to come and say that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is here, and that you can still start thinking straight even in the condition that you may find yourself in here this morning. So as we look at it, the son gets his 27 word speech ready, he puts it in his pocket and he starts to head towards home. And I want us to see the revelation in this speech because I believe that there's some things in this for us that if we grab hold of it, that we can experience some freedom here today and that we can begin to walk home and to return to who it is that God is seeking for us to be in the fullness of what he has for us. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that there is the revelation of responsibility. The revelation of responsibility. See how he starts his speech in verse 18. He says, Father, I have sinned. That's how he opens this speech up. He says, this is what I'm gonna say to him, and he starts with the word father there. And that's how he addresses him in this whole passage and in this whole text is that he's constantly referencing his father as he is returning back to that. And it's important for us to begin to grab hold of that this morning because God is not some sort of energy or, or some light or some force, but God is a personal creator who has brought us to life as his children who has invited us to know him even though he is holy he is our father. So when the son turns to go towards home, his first words in this speech is father. And that's important here this morning because that's what was really lost. He didn't lose the money. He didn't lose the material. He didn't lose the dignity. You may say, well, yeah, Tim, he lost all of that. No, what he lost first and foremost was the relationship that he had with his father. And that's the place where he is coming from. See, we always start to deal with the consequences, the, the loss of the money, the, the loss of the friends, the, the loss of the dignity, and all of the consequences that he faced because he blew all of that money. But, but what's really important and what God is seeking to say here is not just the consequences, it is the relationship. Because when you get back to the Father, the consequences you can work with. No, the consequences aren't easy. No, they're not just gonna magically disappear. But when you're back in the arms of your father and you know that you are a son or a daughter of God, you can then walk through the consequences with your father. And it's the relationship here 
that was broken, so the first word back is father. Now, I don't know what your relationship is with your father. I don't know where it is that you find yourself here this morning and what that word does to you, but I'm telling you right now, when it comes to our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ, if you don't have the father, then your faith isn't gonna work for you. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. It doesn't matter, you know, kind of the set of beliefs or do's or don'ts. At the end of the day, it is about a relationship with a God who is seeking to be your father and to call you his child, his son, or his daughter. Now, does truth matter? Yes. Does theology matter? Absolutely. All of those things matter. Does the church matter? Yes. Those things matter. But it is about a relationship that we have with God as our father. So he starts with those three words, that word father, and then he comes to these next three words. He just says, I have sinned. Can we say that together this morning? I have sinned. Man, how, how hard is that to say? It's so difficult. Because like we come back around it sometimes, and, and, and some of our excuses is, well, my, my parents did this, or if you knew my boss, or if you knew this person, that lives next door to me. It's so hard for us to get out those three words. I have sinned. But this is one of the greatest parts of this speech because in it, he takes responsibility in those three words. I, I think about my life and, and kind of the moments that I've been in and the difficult situations that I've been in, and I can come up with about a million different words that don't ring as true as these three words of I have sinned. See, what happened here is that the son got down below the, my friends did this, or this situation happened. He got down below the, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to work this out, or I'm trying to do this, and, and got past all of the blaming of other people, and found himself sitting completely aware that it was his actions that brought him to this place where he could just simply say, I have sinned. And there was this revelation of responsibility that he took. And I'm telling you, there's something extraordinary waiting today for us. But if you're going to get there, we're going to have to come around those three words, I have sinned. And begin to take that responsibility. Because in the second part of this speech, and the second thing I want us to see this morning, is that there is the revelation of brokenness. The revelation of brokenness. Look, he says, Father, I have sinned, and then later in verse 18, right after that, he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So what he is saying here in this revelation is that we don't ever just sin against somebody else, but that when we sin, we sin against God, and we sin against all of heaven. See, I think repentance isn't really repentance if you're only concerned with the damage that it will do to you or potentially the damage that it does to those around you. But repentance is full repentance when you and I have a revelation of the collateral damage that we have done to ourselves, of the damage that we have done to others, and then when we take those and we combine them and we look at the collateral damage that we have done to God with our choices. Yeah, it's we understand, yes, I have sinned against you, Father, 
Like I insulted you when I said I wanted half my inheritance, when I said that I wanted you to die, when I turned and left home and went out on my own way. And you can put yourself in there with anything that you've ever done. I put myself in there and all the decisions that I've made when I thought that I knew better than God and that my plan was better than God and all of those things. And I've sinned against him and, 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 and then everybody saw that knowing that I was connected to Christ and knew the choices that I made. But then he said there, it wasn't just that I've done this to you, but I've done this to heaven because my life was created for the glory of God. So what the son got in this moment is that not only have I not brought glory to God, but that I, I have fractured at least for people who are with me what the glory of God actually looks like. Now, Romans 3.23, and if you've been around church, you know this text, but if you haven't, this is your first time ever in a situation like this, this text kind of amplifies what this is saying. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love that because it doesn't say all have sinned and messed up their lives or made this mistake or caused this situation. No, it says that all have sinned and have fallen short of God. They have fallen short of the picture of who God is. Now, it's Father's Day, and so many of you dads in the room, you either still have on, on record somewhere, in your office somewhere, you've got a picture or pictures that your kids have drawn of you for Father's Day. Any dads still have those pictures? Only a few of you. All right, so, and, and some of you are new dads, so let me just prepare you. These pictures are coming, um, and I just want to say this uh, in a graceful way. Don't take them personally. Um, <clears throat> so I was looking this morning in my office. I've got some pictures that my kids have drawn of me. Now, you know, I, I've changed a lot. Immigration is going to be 10 here in a week, and, and so, like, I, I've changed in 10 years. Um, and, and so I have less hair now. Um, my goatee uh, used to be completely black, um, and, and I was at a place yesterday, and many people pointed out to me, they're like, wow, you've really gotten great. And I said, God bless you. And, um, and so, uh, <clears throat> and so Emma Grace would draw these pictures of me, and Jacob would draw these pictures of me. And I was looking at some of them, and yes, I understand that I don't have a full head of hair, but I have hair on my head. But when you look at the pictures that my kids have drawn of me, it's, it's, you would think that I'm bald completely. Um, and, and then you would think even, you know, they're drawing these pictures five, six years ago. You would think that I'm just another version of Santa Claus because there's no black anywhere. It's just all white hair and, and you know, and, and I'm a little bit larger and pudgier and, and all of these different things. And so these are the pictures. They, they don't reflect what it is that I actually look like and, and, and who I am, but it is what the picture they have painted and that they have drawn out. So I would ask us this morning on that. What is the picture of God that we are painting for those around us to see? Because we're image bearers as children of God. And as image bearers of God, then we are reflection of who he is, and we're to reflect his glory to the world around us. Not so that they see us, but so that they can see God. So what is it then that the world is seeing when it looks at you and me? And the son got this. He understood it. He understood that, that he had sinned. Against who? Against his father and against heaven. And so there was a fracturing 
of the glory of God and the reflection of that to those around him. So he's moving through this speech now, and he gets up to this third component of the speech, and the third thing I want us to see is that there is a revelation of reality. There's this revelation of reality. He says in verse 19, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He had walked this path, he had made these choices. He knew he had sinned, he took responsibility for his sin. He knew who he had sinned against and there was a brokenness that existed because of that. And he knew in his brokenness that he had sinned against his father and against heaven and fractured the glory of God. And that because of those actions, he then knew I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, why? It's because sin causes us to be unworthy of the holiness of God. And the son is getting this. Now you may ask in yourself here, maybe it's your first time and, you're, and you've listened to, to our worship as the worship has just declared the gospel here today of who Jesus is and what Christ is seeking to do and how he's seeking to have a relationship with us. And you're saying, man, if I wanna become that, if, I, if this is what I want, Tim, I'm hearing this for the first time and this is hitting me somewhere and, and, and I wanna become a Christian, I wanna start a relationship with God. I, I, I wanna have this father-child relationship and son or daughter, whatever it is, and, and I wanna be put back together again. And, and so is this something that I have to pray? Is this what I need to say? I, I wanna invite you to turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we'll come back to Luke chapter 15, but, but look at Romans 10, and we're gonna start in verse eight. Because I think there's people here in the room today that would say, I, I think I'm a Christian, but there's other people that say, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I think I prayed a prayer. You know, and, and, and others of you are like, no, I prayed a prayer, but then another pastor came along and added you know, kind of a, a different pizzazz to the prayer, and so then I prayed that prayer. And, and then I've, I've done student ministry and now college ministry for a combined 22 years, and, and I, I've come across this before where there are students or, and even college students who pray the prayer every day. They're just kind of like re-upping every single morning, just, just trying to, to kind of get it all in again because they, just, they don't think that it sticks. And so Romans 8 comes in, and this is what Paul says. He says, but what does it say in verse 8? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. So let me say this very clearly here before we keep reading on. Your salvation with God, your relationship with God, it is not based on a prayer. It's based on faith. So if you're going to heaven thinking, I hope I got the prayer right, you're missing the essential element of the prayer, which is basically you just trying to put words around what it is that you believe. You're saying, I believe. I have faith in who Jesus says that he is and in what Jesus came to do, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave on the third day by the power of God to give me life so that I then could then live forever, and I put my faith in Jesus. So, so that's what's going on here. That's the heart of what it means to experience rescue and restoration and salvation. It's the word of faith that we are proclaiming. So in verse nine, he says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
You will, not that you might, not that you should, not that you could, but that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you say to yourself this morning, what is the the prayer of salvation to him? It's pretty amazing. It's three words that are right here in this passage. And it's just you confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You you cannot go through your life saying, I believe in God. I have a really strong faith in God. But but that kind of confessing with my mouth, I'm just a little uncomfortable with. No, no, we need to all get uncomfortable because part of faith is the public outward vocalized confession of Jesus. And at some point, you have to say that Jesus is Lord. Like that's the prayer. Now you're going to add into that understanding. You're going to go deeper in, in that revelation about who Jesus is and how he is Lord. But, but it says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then the second part of this is parallel to this, is that believe, and there's that word again, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There is no dead person around that is Lord of all. That just doesn't exist. So when you're confessing Jesus as Lord, you're believing in your heart that God our Father, that in his almighty power, that he raised Jesus up to be the victor over death, hell, and the grave. And so what you're saying then is I'm saying Jesus is Lord, and I believe in it. I believe that he is alive. I believe in the resurrection, because in that resurrection is the cross. In that resurrection is the way, the truth, and the life. In that resurrection is the way that he died by taking on the sins of the world, but he's alive, and I believe it. And I'm not just saying I believe in the resurrection, but I'm saying by the power of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that I am in the resurrection, that when Jesus rose, I rose with him because Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm publicly and outwardly confessing that for everybody to see and to know what it is that I believe in. That, that's what this is about. And so you don't have to get all caught up in what's the right prayer to pray or what's the right speech to give. This son's speech was basically, I am in a boatload of trouble and you are my only hope. I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, this speech was great up to this point. But then the speech takes a turn, and it takes a turn that so many of us take. And in the speech, the son is starting to say something. You may have missed this before. But he gets to the end of verse 19 at this really good speech. And then the son begins to dictate to the father the terms by which the father was going to respond to his speech. Any, anybody ever done this? Gotten to the place like this? You, you've taken responsibility. There's been brokenness over your sin. There's the reality that Jesus is Lord and you believe that he's risen from the grave, and you've confessed that, and you believe that, but on the way home, you then want to dictate to God how it is that God is going to respond to you. That, that, 
that, that I've taken responsibility, and now, God, like, let me just kind of let you know how you're going to take things from here. We want to cut off the consequences and, and the punishment and the reality at the pass. You know, those of you that are college sports fans, you know, football, basketball, baseball, college teams do this all the time where, where they have an NCAA infraction and then they put themselves on probation before there's any investigation. Now, I made a bad joke about the University of Florida in the first service, and I'm not going to do that here. Um, Nan and I are Auburn fans. Nan is a graduate of Auburn University, so we root for Auburn. And, and so this past basketball season, um, um, Auburn University, they put themselves on probation uh, for infractions that they had. Now, here's the funny thing about this. Auburn's basketball team was not good enough to make it to the tournament that they suspended themselves from going to. So, uh, so I don't really know how all of that works. I know we've got some UCF guys in the room that can maybe explain that to me. And, and, um, but so, you know, and we do that. We want to put ourselves on probation and to give ourselves the penalty and to tell God, okay, I get it. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so now here are the terms for how we're going to navigate this together. And you know what we do? You know, my kids, when they try to dictate the terms of their punishment, they try to go on the lighter side. But as believers and as a church, we allow Satan to speak such shame and guilt into our hearts and into our lives that we cast ourselves out over here as if there is no place for us to go home to. And so the son is trying to do this. If you look at the end of verse 19, he just says this. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. And that's why the fourth thing I want us to see today is the revelation of the father's response. The revelation of the father's response. Look with me at verse 20. It says, so he got up, he's got his speech, he gets up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The father not turning his back on his son, not thinking that his son was gone forever, not thinking that there was no hope for the son who essentially told him to die, not thinking that his son was, was forever gone, was there waiting, looking, sees him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is how the father responds. Those of you that are fathers like me in the room, how often is that that we respond to our kids that way? You know, I always read this, and I think, I think of the times where I have kind of let my kids down as a dad, and instead of kind of moving towards them with compassion, I move towards them with the critique and with the criticism to say, here's what you did wrong, or I told you so that you shouldn't have done this, and why in the world would you do something so ridiculous and asking all the questions and putting everything out there? The father could have said all of those things, but the scripture tells us and the story tells us that he moved towards him with compassion. While the son was walking with shame and guilt, the father ran to him with grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness, and this is the Jesus that we sing about. This is the Jesus that the scriptures tell us 
us about. And this is the Jesus who is here today, alive and well, saying to those of you who think I can't go home, he wants to run to meet you this morning with compassion and with mercy and with the love of the Almighty Father. This is who Christ is. And I love it. So the son, he gets the speech ready. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice, there is nowhere else where it says, make me like one of your hired servants. The father interrupts, and he said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the message and the invitation of Jesus today when he says to come home. The son's highest hopes were just to be one of the hired men. And now the son has those men redressing him. Paul wrote this beautifully in Galatians in chapter 3 and verses 26 through 29. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying there is that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're clothed with Jesus and we're clothed in his righteousness. That ring, it's not jewelry. You don't need jewelry to get back into the house, but that ring, it's the father's signet. It's his sign. It's his authority. And he says, put that ring on his finger so that anywhere he goes and in any transaction, he has the authority of the house. And then he moves down Paul does, and this isn't going to be on the screen, but in Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, he keeps going. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has, also, has made you also an heir. That New Testament word for adoption just means to place as an adult son. This has to do with our standing in the family of God. Paul is writing out here that we were little children, slaves in bondage. However, God has redeemed us through Christ, and in that redemption, we're now sons. We're now heirs with all the privileges of sonship. So this son, this son is coming in, the, in Luke 15. He's got the speech ready. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son seeking. And he's like, I just want to be made one of the hired servants. And God intervenes. The father intervenes. says, I'm responding to you the way that I want to respond to you. I, I am coming at you with restoration, with reauthority, with a reinstitution, with new shoes, with new eyes, because peace has come to our house. 
What Jesus is seeking to say here to those in the room that feel like they can't go home is he's just wanting to say, you're mine and I'm yours. So come home. You were dead, now you are alive. You can search day after day, year after year, and not find something better than this. I gotta think the sinners in this story that, that they reference, the sinners and the tax collectors, are freaking out at this moment. And some of you may be feeling the same way, thinking this sounds just a little too easy, Tim. It, it just sounds like it's way too easy that you just blow it all and that you just return home I want to close this morning, just introduce you to the most amazing person in this story. It's not the son, it's not the brother, it's not the servants, it's not the father. The most amazing person in this story is the person who is telling the story. You see, Jesus is standing on planet earth telling the story of what you and I can expect when we come back to God. So if there is anybody here this morning who is thinking that it's just too easy, then tell Jesus that. There's nothing easy about what Jesus came to do. There's nothing easy about what it is that he did for you and for me. And so you've got to remember over whose lips this story is being told. Jesus is saying, how does that work? How, how does that work that the father just runs to meet his son, throws his arms around him, hugs him, kisses him, moves at him with compassion? And essentially what Jesus is telling the audience in the text and what he's telling us today is just follow along with me and you'll see how it works. Because Jesus was locked in on Jerusalem and to a mountain called Calvary where he was gonna give his life for everyone. So that's what you get because of what Jesus did when you turn for home and head back to God. So just with heads bowed and eyes closed here this morning, I would just ask you this, is there anyone here that wants to pray that prayer. That just wants to say Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Anybody want to pray that prayer? That I'm in a boatload of trouble and Jesus is my only hope. Anybody want to turn towards God and say, I, I've never really been a believer. I've never been a believer in God or in Jesus. I never really understood anything that we've talked about here, but I do now. And I want to be connected to the God who made me. And I want to come to Jesus who gave me life. Seek his forgiveness and to be raised from the dead. I just want to say, Jesus, that I want you. I believe in you and I put my hope and my trust in you. If that's you this morning, as I said, it's not about the prayer, but it's about the faith. And what it is that you're saying. If you just say, I need a relationship with Jesus, you can just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I believe that you rose from the grave and I want to confess that you are Lord of my life. I need you to rescue me. I'm in trouble and you are my only hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so I can come home. If you prayed that prayer, we want to know about that. We want to celebrate that with you. If you're watching online, if you're here in the room, you just go to our welcome card 
just check the box there that says, I prayed to start a relationship with Jesus Christ here today so that we can come alongside and walk with you in these days ahead. But this morning, there also may be some here who just say, Tim, I, I, I believe in God, but I, I'm at the end of that speech. I, I don't believe that I'm worthy to be called a son. I don't believe I'm worthy to be called a, do- a daughter. So I just want to be made a hired servant. And that's where I am, and that's what I'm going to do. I don't believe that I can fully come home. Man, Jesus is here. He's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Because Jesus wants to give you rest here this morning. So if that's you, and you're carrying your guilt and your shame, man, would you just run to Jesus? Because Jesus is running to you with mercy and with grace. This altar is going to be open for you. If you just need to come and lay it at the feet of Jesus, you can. I want to pray for us. Then I just want us to take time and just respond to him. However it is that God is leading you, would you just come home? So Jesus, here in this place, God, would you do what only you can do? Would you speak how only you can speak into hearts and lives all across this room, God? Those who need to place their faith for the very first time in you and to come home, to their father. God, those who feel like that they can't come home, would you show them the way through Jesus Christ? May we come to you as your son, as your daughter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.